something so improbable, the impossible has happened. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow! In your life have you seen anything like that? Hey, DJ. What's going on? I'm Chandler. And this is Tiger Beat Sports. Welcome to a special edition of this all-crazy sports newscast. Hey everybody, I'm Chandler Sports and this is the Sport Report. Uh, Chandler with Sports is how he wants to go. With is his middle name, Sports is his last name. At the Sport Report, we pride ourselves on neutral, down the middle, coverage with an analytical spin. We remove the bias so you can think about a team without any outside opinion. No crazy points for attention. No power rankings. No opinions. Just, Just sports. sports. We're going to throw out the bias and throw in some facts. We're out to change the game. So without further ado, here we go. Hit it, Blaze. This is the Sport Report. Hey everybody, I'm Chandler with Sports, and this is the Sport Report. We're going to change things up a little bit differently this week. We might try this format going forward. So this week, we've got a lot to cover. College football, the World Cup, college basketball, the NBA, the NHL. It's just that time of the year. Actually, we've got some tennis. I'm telling you, we've got a lot to cover. Um, so we're going to cover all that to start. Uh, we'll get the other news and notes as well. And then we're going to go to college football, then to the NFL with David Miller. We just thought that putting the longer form segments towards the back half of the show would make it a little bit easier for people to find their favorite sports. So to begin, let's start with the NBA, where Anthony Davis of the Los Angeles Lakers joined Shaquille O'Neal as the only players with back-to-back games with 40-plus points and 10-plus rebounds for the purple and gold. He did that the other night, as he also had 55 points and 17 rebounds in the Lakers' 130-119 win over the Washington Wizards. This week's trivia question, it's been three decades since any player in the NBA has put up a stat line of 50 or more points, 15 or more rebounds, and three or more blocks while connecting on at least 70% of his shot attempts, as Anthony Davis was 73% from the field. Well, who's the last player to have done that? to have 50 or more points, 15 or more rebounds, and three or more blocks while shooting 70% or more from the field. We'll have that trivia answer next week. To answer last week's trivia question, when was the last time the New Orleans Saints were shut out in a game? They got shut out against the Raiders last week. The last time it happened was before the Drew Brees era began. They were shut out in 2001. We'll have more NBA coverage as the season progresses. There's just so much to cover at this time of year. In the Eastern Conference, first standings update. In the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics are 20 and 5, the Milwaukee Bucks 17 and 6, then the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Atlanta Hawks and the Indiana Pacers round out the top 5. If you're looking at the playoff standings, the Miami Heat, the Washington Wizards and the New York Knicks are in a three-way dead heat battle for 9th and 10th and the Knicks are on the outside of the cut line. In the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns lead the New Orleans Pelicans by half a game. Memphis Grizzlies by a game, the Denver Nuggets by a game and a half, Sacramento Kings by two, and the LA Clippers by two and a half games. Every single team in the top 10 is separated by three and a half games. And if you want to throw in the Timberwolves, Thunder, and Lakers, the top 13 teams in the Western Conference are all separated by five games. It's going to be a very close race in the Western Conference. Again, we'll have more NBA coverage as our season progresses. In the NHL, the Boston Bruins and the Vegas Golden Knights went head-to-head. Former Bruins head coach Bruce Cassidy is now helming the Vegas Golden Knights, and they win 4-3 to after a shootout 
win at the TD Garden. The Boston Bruins had 14 wins in a row to start their season, that it was an NHL record. And it's only ironic that their former head coach they fired is the one who ends that winning streak to start the season. The Bruins are still one of the best teams in the NHL, but they're not the best. The best team in the NHL is the New Jersey Devils, who are 10 points ahead of their nearest Metropolitan Division rival, Carolina Hurricanes. The Boston Bruins lead the Atlantic Division on 41 points. The Devils have 43 points in the Metro. In the Western Conference, the Dallas Stars lead the Winnipeg Jets 33 points to 31 points. And in the Pacific Division, the Vegas Golden Knights have 39 points compared to the Seattle Kraken, who have 33 points, but have played three games fewer. Again, we'll have more coverage of the NHL as the season progresses. Next, we'll jump over to tennis, where Carlos Alcaraz and Rafael Nadal from Spain become the first countrymen to finish first and second in the final ATP rankings of the year since Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi from the United States in 1996. In NASCAR, we forgot to mention that Joey Logano is the cup champion. We didn't have an episode the week that he won. Our NASCAR correspondent Andy Jones wanted to make sure that got in. The NASCAR team has also confirmed that there will be two Saturday night races in 2023. That's it, just two. Traditionally, there's been a few more, but most of the time NASCAR is on a Sunday. This year, the two Saturday night races are Daytona in July, so not the Daytona 500, but the summer race in Daytona. And like it has been since 1979, Bristol will be under the lights on a Saturday night in September. Next, we'll cover college basketball, where the Houston Cougars are 8-0, and for the first time since 1982-1983, they are number one in the country and in the AP poll as well. Yes, they have not been number one in the regular season since the Phi Slamma Jamma days, 40 years ago this year. And speaking of 40 years, Jim Nance will be calling his final March Madness this season. He's a former Houston Cougar, and he remembers those Phi Slamma Jamma days. So maybe there's something on the horizon for Houston and Jim Nance as he rides off into the sunset for March Madness. Don't worry, he'll still do the Masters. He'll still, still do the NFL with Tony Romo. Fear not. Back to college basketball, Texas, Virginia, Purdue, and UConn round out the top five after impressive showings over the Thanksgiving break. Kansas, Tennessee, Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona round out the top ten. Preseason number one, North Carolina, the defending national runner-ups to Kansas, have dropped out of the rankings completely. They were 18th last week. They've lost a few games. They're struggling a little bit. We'll see if they can regroup and find themselves again as the season progresses, especially with conference play coming up in just a few weeks. Now we'll cover the World Cup as Carson Cooper is out under the weather. We're going to cover the knockout stages, and then we'll jump over to college football and the NFL. The knockout stages are finally upon us at the World Cup in Qatar, and before we get to the round of 16, we want to recap the group stages. Like we mentioned last week, the Netherlands and Senegal out of Group A, and England and the United States out of Group B. To finish off the rest of the group stage, Group C had Argentina and Poland going through. Mexico went out, and I'm going to tell you, Mexico versus Saudi Arabia and Argentina-Poland made for probably the best 45 minutes of sports in a very, very long time, if not ever. Uh, the chaos, the tiebreakers, so many different things. At one point in time, Poland and Mexico were separated by two yellow cards. 
to determine who advances to the knockout stage. While Argentina was just twiddling their thumbs, wondering, can we score again? Mexico was also wondering, can we score again? Mexico did not score. Argentina did not score. Argentina and Poland advance. If one of those two teams, Argentina or Mexico, had scored, Mexico and Argentina would be through. But instead, the Polish and the Argentines advance, but only one of them actually made it out of the round of 16. We'll get to that in just a second. In Group D, France and Australia tied for first place on six points. France advanced on a better goal difference. In Group E, Japan and Spain advance. At one point in time, it was Germany and Costa Rica and Spain battling for that second spot. And it was Japan and Costa Rica going through until Germany scored three unanswered goals in the last 20 minutes of regulation. It was not enough for either side to go through, but it meant that the Spaniards could go through. In Group F, Morocco and Croatia, Belgium is out. The golden generation we were talking about last week, they will not advance to the knockout stages. In Group G, Brazil and Switzerland advance over Cameroon and Serbia. And in Group H, Portugal and South Korea advance over Uruguay and Ghana. Something very important happened with Portugal. Cristiano Ronaldo, their star player, threw a hissy fit when he got subbed off in their match against South Korea, and it resulted in something unexpected, to say the least. Um, we'll get to that in the round of 16 recap. To recap the round of 16, the Netherlands defeat the United States three goals to one. The U.S. was missing that additional striker they needed other than Christian Pulisic. And the Netherlands made them pay for it very dearly. They will play Argentina, who defeated Australia, two goals to one. That match will be on Friday. The other match on Friday will be between Croatia and Brazil. Croatia defeats Japan 3-1 on penalties after tying 1-1 after extra time. Brazil scored four first-half goals, defeat South Korea four goals to one. The Brazilians scored three goals in the entire group stage, all in the second half. And in their match against South Korea, they scored four first-half goals. Yeah, sometimes sports just doesn't make sense. Neymar and Danilo return for the Brazilians, and they look like one of the best sides at the moment, tactically speaking. On the other side of the bracket, England defeats Senegal, three goals to nil. They'll play the defending World Cup champion France, who defeat Poland, three goals to one. And finally, today's matches, Morocco, nil-nil against Spain. The Moroccan keeper saved two penalties and had another go off the post against Spain in their penalty shootout. Morocco advances to their first World Cup quarterfinal in their second-ever knockout stage appearance. They'll take on Portugal, who sat Cristiano Ronaldo. We'll get to that in a second. They defeat Switzerland six goals to one, almost to Brazil. Yeah, so it was uh, very interesting. So Cristiano Ronaldo gets benched for the first time since 2008 at a major tournament. He did not get into the starting lineup. He had a fit. He decided that he would, you know, say some words, and his manager for Portugal followed Manchester United's lead and decided, you know what? You're on the bench. They might just kick him out entirely. Ronaldo is no longer the future for Portugal. The other players that can make an impact for this team are Bruno Fernandes in the midfield. Then you have a guy who had a hat trick Giancarlo Ramos, the 21-year-old replacing Cristiano Ronaldo, he had a hat-trick in his first start for Portugal at the national level. Bernardo Silva's getting a little bit older, Joao Felix is getting a little bit older, Pepe too, Ronaldo. This Portugal side is finally experiencing a changing of the guard, and Cristiano Ronaldo did not even stay on the field to congratulate his teammates, he just walked down the tunnel. He doesn't care, he's got an ego. It's what got him kicked out of Manchester United in the first place. So, you know what? Maybe it's time for the changing of the guard. Messi's last tournament is this year. Maybe it's time for Ronaldo to hang up his boots. But a Saudi Arabian club 
is also trying to get his signature, but he might be playing second fiddle to Vincent Abubakar of Cameroon. And speaking of Abubakar, he actually scored a goal against Brazil in the group stage, took his shirt off, which is a yellow card. It was his second of the match, and he got sent off. So talk about a walk-off goal. Even the referee gave him a bro hug and smiled. So at the end of the day, he got a yellow card, which turned into a red card, and he got sent to the tunnel. So Abubakar and Ronaldo at Al Nassar in Saudi Arabia? It's a possibility. We'll see what happens. As for the World Cup, we had one of our favorite correspondents, our CFL correspondent Isaac Ramey, threw this in. The 10 a.m. Eastern kickoffs went to penalty shootouts, and the 2 p.m. Eastern kickoffs were blowouts each of the last two days. In the quarterfinals, it'll be Netherlands, Argentina, and Croatia and Brazil on Friday, England and France, and Morocco and Portugal on Saturday. The winners will advance to the semifinals on the 13th and 14th before the World Cup final on Sunday, December 18th. From one football to the next, let's go from the World Cup to college football, where Coach Prime is coming to Boulder, ladies and gentlemen. We've also got some other news in college football as the bowl games are finally set. All the is out on the field! Flutie flush, throws it down. Caught by Boston College! I don't believe it! Caught! Touchdown! Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown! Incredible! Holy cow! What a play! Touchdown! Touchdown, Colorado! College football update. College football will take a two-week break, and in that in two weeks, there's going to be chaos in the coaching carousel, and a lot of players are going to enter the transfer portal, potentially up to 40% of the current rosters across the FBS division. And some head coaching news, Scott Satterfield is leaving Louisville for Cincinnati. Why is that important? Well, the two schools are in the same region. They're less than 100 miles apart. And technically, Cincinnati's airport is in the same state as Louisville in Kentucky. And they play each other in the Fenway Bowl on December 17th. What makes it better? Both teams are sharing the same sideline because of the dimensions of a football field inside a baseball stadium. Poor Louisville. Football just had that happen. And basketball's 0-8. So Winless Watch is on for the Cards Hoops squad. We'll explain what Winless Watch is more in-depth in the new year. As for football, Satterfield took a parting shot by letting his players know of the decision through a Zoom call. Seriously. It's laughable. Good luck to Scott Satterfield and the Cincinnati Bearcats as they try to survive in the Big 12 next year. And if you're wondering about coaches having coached for a team playing against his next employer in a bowl game, Steve Sloan did it in the 1974 Peach Bowl for Vanderbilt before departing for Texas Tech. Some other news and notes in college football. In 2024, there will be 12 teams in the college football playoff after the Rose Bowl gave up their specific time slot, their 5 p.m. Eastern time slot they've held for nearly 60 years. And the top four teams in the final college football playoff rankings for this season, number one, Georgia, will take on number four, Ohio State, in the Peach Bowl. And the number two, Michigan Wolverines, will take on the number three, TCU Horned Frogs, in the Fiesta Bowl. Those games will be on New Year's Eve. There are 42 bowl games in total. We'll have our college football correspondent, Connor Treadwell, on in the new year to recap the bowl games and to look ahead to next season. He'll also get to look ahead a little bit to Coach Prime coming to Boulder, Colorado. This week, Deion Sanders got named as the 28th head football coach in Colorado football history. He will begin his tenure in Boulder after he leads Jackson State through their bowl game in the Celebration Bowl against NC Central on December 17th. 
From there, he has warned the current CU players. I still have unfinished business to do with Jackson State because whatever I start, I'm going to finish. And we got to go win this championship. We're going to do that. But then shortly thereafter, I just want you to know, I'm coming. Not to compete, but to win. Not to show up, but to show out. Not to be amongst the rest, but to be the best. I'm coming. Our thanks to Deion Sanders' production company, Well Off Media, for providing that content. You heard it from Deion Sanders. He's coming for the players who do not want to put in the time, the effort, the dedication to the CU football program to bring them back to national prominence. In the last, say, 48 hours, Deion Sanders has made Colorado go from one of the worst and least talked about schools in the FBS to the most talked about team in the entire country in any sport. I guess when you have that type of persona, it can, you know, elevate your profile. I spoke to Mark Johnson, voice of the Buffaloes. He had some thoughts on Coach Prime arriving in Boulder. But let's get to, you know this guy, because I think he may have sat in the booth with you a couple of times. Chandler with sports joins us, and he just knew that you were coming on, Mark, so he has a question. Chandler, my man, welcome, and uh, you're on with Mark. Go ahead. Hey, Stephen, good to hear you. Hey, Mark, as well. Um, what's the biggest weakness for Colorado, for the Buffaloes, that needs to be addressed? Well, well I think the biggest thing, Chandler, has been this. They, they, they addressed the academic issue, and, and it's hard to say that's a weakness, right? It was a strength academically, but what it was doing to athletics, helping the athletic programs, not just football, but basketball and everybody else, uh, bring transfer athletes now that the portal is a big part of college athletics. So that's been adjusted as well. Uh, President Todd Salomon and uh, Chancellor Phil DeStefano have done a great job with that to help on athletics. So that's number one. The, the other thing, I, I think what had happened over the course of the, really the last 20 years is, and Dion, uh, Coach Sanders kind of talked about this. Everyone had begun to settle. David Bakhtiari, the great left tackle for the Green Bay Packers, I saw on social media today, when, when he was asked about Dion's comments about guys hitting the portal, he said that attitude has been there for a long time. It was there when David said he was there back in 2009. That, I think, has been the biggest obstacle overcome is that kind of lackadaisical, accepting mediocrity kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think Coach Prime is, is uh, coming in and confronting immediately. And Rick George, I think, in his decision, knew that was what Dion was going to do. And so I, I think overcoming that mental aspect on, on where things had kind of fallen to and changing that part of the culture, I think, is going to be enormous for the program. And then along with that comes the recruiting aspect of bringing talent in and, and donors and NIL money and all that kind of stuff. But but I, I think that that internal, whatever you want to call that, spirit, that internal just acceptance of being not as good as we used to be, I think is one of the major things they've had to change. And, and listen, <laughs> Coach Sanders, Coach Prime's not the kind of guy that's going to accept that. Yeah, kind of thing exactly. I, I mean, the bar, the, I mean, he wins two games. I mean, he's a success already. Our thanks to the Stephen Tubbs show in Denver for allowing us to use their content. Maybe this season we'll get to hear Mark Johnson say, Touchdown! Touchdown, Colorado! More often. That covers college football. Now on to the NFL, where David Miller joins us on the Sport Report for week 13 in the NFL, and there were a lot of injuries, and something pretty incredible happened. Get oh, 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 on left! Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler! How in the world? Oh, my goodness. It is now time for Around the NFL with David Miller. I'll start with the Thursday night football game, the Buffalo Bills 24, the New England Patriots 10. 
Were you surprised that Mac Jones, a week after throwing 300 yards, is now criticizing Bill Belichick for a game plan? Surprised a little bit. Um, I'm not sure that many people can be criticized Bill Belichick for a game plan. Consensus probably best coach of all time. Um, and it looked like kind of a Mac Jones game. You know, 195 yards for one touchdown and no interceptions. You know, that stat line we would be used to seeing a Patriots win in his rookie year. You know, that's how he got a lot of his wins and stat lines like that. So not particularly surprised, but um, and not surprised in the outcome either. Yeah, I mean, Buffalo looked really good. They they were all in two in the AFC East entering the game, but at the end of the day, they get their first win, and now they've got three divisional games in their final five games of the season. Uh, continuing on to Sunday, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Atlanta Falcons. Steelers nineteen, Falcons sixteen. Kenny Pickett was not his best. The special teams did a lot of the work for Pittsburgh, but. At the end of the day, it got it got Pittsburgh over the line. Was there anything from Atlanta that was kind of surprising in how they went about the game? Well, I think that uh, splitting carries evenly between Cordero Patterson and Tyler Algier is definitely surprising. Um, I think it could be a good strategy for them going forward. The rookie Algier has had uh, multiple good games during that you know stretch where Cordero was on uh, on IR. I think they're they're both effective backs, and using them both can be helpful to their run game. Yeah, definitely. And the Falcons, you know, they had a rough week. I mean, the Steelers are not a bad team. Let, let's preface this first and foremost. They're, they're five and seven. The Falcons fall to five and eight. Jacksonville Jaguars fourteen. Detroit Lions forty. The Lions had how many receivers over hundred yards? I think it was just Amon Ross St. Brown over hundred yards, and DJ Chark had ninety eight yards. So he was close, mm-hmm. but Jared Goff. Traditionally, he's not the greatest of passers, but, you know, 31 for 41, a 115 rate, a 116 rating. Was there anything from this game that stood out to you other than the scoreline? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just kind of Jacksonville can be such a confusing team. I, uh, you sometimes don't know what to make of them after, after certain games. This was a game that one would think would be close going in, and it just wasn't at all. I mean, the Lions offense has not been bad this season at all. They've been losing games where they put up 30 points, you know, they, um, their offense has not been bad at all. And we saw that again against a pretty depleted, pretty empty Jacksonville defense, but to be only, to only be able to put up 14 points on this Lions D does not bode that well for Trevor Lawrence and co moving into the last half of the season. Oh, there's no question about it. And there might be questions asked of Doug Peterson as to why the offense isn't more efficient, but those are questions for when we get to six weeks down the road, not right now. Mm Uh, in the NFC, well, it was actually an NFC versus AFC battle between two really good teams. Minnesota Vikings 27, New York Jets 22. Mike White starting again for the New York Jets in place of Zach Wilson. How many passes did he throw for? 57 passing attempts. That is ridiculous. That's by far the most in the league this year, yeah. if not definitely this week. Um, yeah. That's just mind-boggling how you can even attempt 57 passes and get this, they still ran it 24 times. Yep. Unreal. Um, and they lost the game. I know. Games like that are tough. They were fighting. They were coming from behind. So I get why they passed a lot of the, you know, a lot of, the, a lot of their downs. But passing 57 total times means you are getting the ball so much um, and just running so many plays. So Mike White, 31 for 57, no touchdowns, two interceptions. Garrett Wilson, eight receptions on 15 targets 
is Whoa. ridiculous volume for 162 yards. Mike White hit him for a 60 plus yard pass down the stretch to make it a once, not to make it a one score game, but to set up their their scoring to make it a one score game. Ultimately, was not enough though. Vikings stay. Vikings stay winning close games. Yeah, no kidding. A lot of their wins, they have 10 wins on the year. I believe at least eight of them are by one possession. So be very interesting to see how the Vikings play the rest of the season. They've recovered well since getting smoked by the Cowboys a few weeks ago. Uh, speaking of NFC East teams, the Washington Commandskins and the New York Giants decided it'd be a great time to play to a tie. It's week 13, the unlucky number. 20 to 20. Please tell me, First of all, we're going to get to why the NFL still does overtime, or at least we're going to talk about that in a minute. But please explain to me how we even got to this point. 2020? Yeah, it was it was crazy. Anyways, so we started started the started the game up 10-0. Eventually, it was to a point where it was 20-13, to 13, and we had to put together a – I'll stop saying we. Command Skins had to put together a drive to, uh, to, to tie it up. They did a huge fourth down conversion to Curtis Samuel for 20-plus yards. Um, ultimately set up the um, completion with a lot of yards after catch uh, for the rookie Jahan Dotson to get into the end zone. Um, a really, a really good looking drive to send it into overtime. And then it kind of looked like neither team wanted to win. Uh, Washington had, you know, a chance to kick, granted a really long field goal or go for it on fourth and nine. I, I was saying they should kick a field goal. I had some other people advocating going for on fourth and nine, but to punt it and try to pin them with, I believe, something like six minutes left in overtime was kind of a puzzling decision. And then the Giants do the same thing, you know, go down the field. They ultimately uh, end up with the ball with a really long field goal and five seconds left to go. So they let Graham Gano go out there and try a kick. It's just short. Ends up in a tie. Funny enough, a tie actually increases both of their playoff odds. One of the teams by 6%, one of the teams by 4%. So I think you could see that maybe going into both te- both coaches, really conservative decision-making in overtime and heading into overtime. And there's also a possibility for Rivera to go for two and try to win the game outright. Um, yeah, being honest, don't love NFL games that ends in t- end in ties. Kind of just leaves a sour taste in your mouth a little bit. Just sat there for almost four hours, and we didn't even get an outcome. With that said, um, if there's going to be a time to tie, it's with a team that is soup in your division a half game ahead of you, um, playing them again two weeks from now. So I understand it from a strategy standpoint, from a fan perspective, ties are a little hard to swallow. Right. And I mean, it's 2022, at least adopt something to where the game can't shouldn't end at a tie. Um mm-hmm. I mean, we had that. We almost had that issue last year with the Raiders and Chargers on Sunday Night Football to determine if the yeah. Steelers even go to the playoffs. Oh my and gosh, both that teams are playing for a tie, and yeah, it's. And it, I mean, this is what that game reminded me of a little bit. Absolutely, because both teams knew that tying was not bad at all for their playoff chances. I mean, I just think you're already in next score wins after the first drive. Just throw another five minutes up there and let them keep playing. You know, it's already next score wins. Just keep going until someone scores. Um, I think that. Overtime games where coaches are both coaches are playing for the tie and are happy, you know, punting it, trying to pin them instead of taking a long field goal is is not good football to watch from a, from an entertainment and a fan perspective. Agreed. And one final stat here. Uh, did you know that Daniel Jones had more yard, rushing yards than uh, Saquon Barkley in the game? 
I didn't know that, although I watched the game, and I can't say it surprises me. Uh, they both had a long run of 21 yards. Saquon had 18 carries for 63 yards. Daniel Jones, the quarterback for the Giants, 12 carries for 71 yards. And Saquon had the touchdown for the Giants, of course. Um, so, yeah, 2020 tie at the Meadowlands. From New York to Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Eagles improved to 11-1 and on the season, demolishing the Tennessee Titans 35-10. Jalen Hurts threw for not one, not two, but three touchdowns, 380 yards on 29 of 39 passing. And I, I couldn't believe my eyes when I read this, but Ryan Tannehill had more rushing yards than Derrick Henry in the game. <laughs> I'm serious. I know. I'm looking at it now. He did. He had 34 to Henry's. 30 and that was only on three rush attempts i did uh watch almost all of this game uh it's hard for henry to get a lot of i mean you might be sitting there wondering why henry only had 11 rushing attempts well Tannehill only had 22 passing attempts um they were down for most of the game forcing them to pass of course their passing game not nearly as good as their running game we're getting into a lot of third and outs or three and outs fourth and longs just punting it away not pretty for the Titans. Um, Eagles were in control the entire game and really had their foot on the gas. They were up multiple scores with the opportunity to kick a field goal and uh, fourth and less than a yard. Twice in the same drive, went for it with the sneak and got it in a drive resulting in a touchdown. And that was when they were up multiple scores. So really just foot on the gas, no fear type of play from the Eagles, just wanting to keep you know, keep it on, keep it pounding. Um, and the Titans really couldn't do much to their offense. Right. And the Eagles had 41 passing attempts. The Titans had 47 plays in total. So definitely a discrepancy there. I'm sure Mike Vrabel is going to be looking at the film this week, questioning his decisions and wondering how they can improve for next week's matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars. In the Deshaun Watson Bowl, Deshaun Watson is back from his uh, lovely 12-week suspension. The Cleveland Browns defeat the Houston Texans 27-14. to Special teams were the only points in this game. Until... The Texans decided, oh, I'm going to throw a touchdown. And the Texans threw a touchdown late in the fourth quarter, but every other point was by the defense or the special teams in this game. 27-14, to uh, we're not really going to talk a bunch about Deshaun Watson. Um, we'll leave it at that. Nick Chubb had 80 yards rushing. Damian Pierce, 73 yards on the ground for Houston. So the Browns win the Deshaun Watson Bowl. In the West Coast games, well, at least in the afternoon slate, the Seattle Seahawks 27-23 over the defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams. Geno Smith, 367 yards. What is the most surprising thing about this game? The most surprising thing about this game is that the Rams scored 23 points. Yeah. Um, their offense is, is completely, completely injured. And, I mean, are they're just running people out there at almost every position that should not be NFL starters. Uh, and almost every game leading up to this game, it looks like their offense had completely thrown in the towel. Cam Akers had two rushing touchdowns. I don't think the Rams have many games where they even scored two offensive touchdowns as of late, so that was easily the most surprising part for me. And something I actually forgot to mention, we were I said it was the start of the afternoon wave. We forgot the Ravens and Broncos, but in short, the Ravens win 10-9. to They scored a touchdown with 38 seconds to go. We're talking about the Broncos. There's not really much else to talk about. Nope. Seriously, like we covered this earlier, Deion Sanders is getting hired as the head coach at CU, and that is the brightest thing to happen, the best thing to happen to Colorado football, Colorado, Colorado State, Denver, whoever, this entire 2022 year. That is yeah, how sad it is in the Rocky Mountain State. Yeah, I mean, if you're, uh, if you're someone who loves hard-nosed football and low-scoring games, uh, you can probably talk yourself into them 
having won a bunch of these when it's in the third quarter and it's, you know, six to seven or something like that. Right. Uh, if that's your style of play that you love. But in terms of winning games or scoring points, no, miserable to watch. Nothing going on there. Um, they're completely stuck contract-wise with Russ. Not pretty. And while there's a discussion about Nathaniel Hackett and his, com- his, his coaching style and whether general, ma- general manager George Payton made the right decision, there's so many things that are wrong with the Broncos. We're just going to move on to the NFC North battle at Soldier Field. Green Bay Packers 28, Chicago Bears 19. The Packers were down in this game 19-10 to 10 before rattling off 18 unanswered in the fourth quarter to improve to 5-8. and eight. Is Justin Fields fully healthy, in your opinion? I'm actually, we're actually asking for opinion for just this one brief moment in time. Yeah, I think, I think that the line is more blurred in the NFL between healthy and not healthy than any sport. I think if it's, a, if it's an injury where you can take something and feel okay for the game, you'll suit up and play more times than not. And I think that's clearly what we're seeing here. Like, no, I don't think Fields is fully healthy. Is he like clearly injured and shouldn't be going out there? No, I don't think so either. I think that, you know, whatever your stance is on NFL injuries and how they treat their players, that is just kind of the norm, which is that if you can if you can take a shot of something and go out there, you do. I think he's right in that mix in terms of how injured he is. Um, you know, it makes it a little hard for him, a little bit harder for him to run effectively, although he still had 71 yards rushing and one touchdown. Uh, rushing, but I, I think he's kind of in that mix. You know, I think maybe since the Bears season is completely shot, you treat it with a little bit more, you know, caution than you do for someone who's like playing for a contract is like a borderline starter at an unimportant position. Like I think the Bears have pretty clearly established that this offense around Justin Fields is probably what they want to roll with going into the years to come. So I think if you know that and someone's hurt, then maybe it's time to sit them down. But with that said, I think he's in like the normal, the normal range of playing while you're injured. I think you see a lot. I'm not sure he's any more injured than Justin Herbert has been all year. Yeah, and that's a fair point to make. Um, interesting you bring up Herbert because we're going to talk about the Chargers now. 27-20, they fall to their AFC West divisional rivals, the Las Vegas Raiders. And Herbert threw for 335 yards. Josh Jacobs was a monster on the ground again, 144 yards and 26 carries for the Raiders. And the Raiders have not looked a co- like a cohesive unit all season, but the last few weeks, some Josh McDaniels did something with this team because now they're five and seven. They're creeping up on that AFC playoff picture with the Chargers at six and six and the Pats as well. Does Vegas have a chance? I think it depends a little bit on their remaining schedule because they have beat some okay teams, not some good teams, but some okay teams. Um, I think they will probably you know, kind of get it handed to them by any really, really good team for the most part. But one thing we do see them doing is something that average to a little bit below average teams really should be doing a lot, which is just throwing it a ton to your best player. Devonta Adams, 12 targets today. Uh, last couple of weeks, he's had 10 plus targets. I mean, when you have someone who is so much more talented on your offense than everyone else, you know, and with teams that maybe don't have the best offenses, I think that can be really key, just getting the ball into your best playmaker's hands and letting him make a play. So Devontae Adams, a monster, 177 yards for two touchdowns. Um, we've kind of seen the Raiders doing that over the past couple of weeks, and it's been working out a little better for them. Right, and this team, they you would imagine if they were to make the playoffs, play against different teams, they need to get Darren Waller back off of IR. They need to distribute the ball a little bit more evenly. I mean, Look at the Chargers. Granted, their defense isn't the greatest, but their offense is 
pretty decent considering Herbert threw for 335 and they had four receivers with at least five receptions and over 60 yards. There are very few teams in the NFL that can be able to do that. So we talk about the Raiders. We talk about all these other teams. We want to give a little bit of a focus as well to the Chargers. If they can get their defense right and they can, from a schematic standpoint, figure it out, watch out, baby. Them San Diego Chargers, yeah. would they might make a run. I mean, talent-wise, they absolutely have the pieces. Um, I, the offense that they run kind of puts a cap on Herbert a little bit. I just don't think they're utilizing him correctly. Um, and they definitely have the skill players and the quarterback to be a, an elite offense. Like maybe a, I don't want to say Miami level offense because they're historically great. But I mean, the, the passing possibilities on their team are so much more than what we're seeing. They absolutely have the personnel to be really, really good. And if they can figure out a couple of things schematically, they could definitely get there. Well, you mentioned they're not utilizing Herbert correctly. Would it be actually, what do you think is the best way to utilize Herbert correctly? Like a Lamar Mahomes type offense or a hybrid or what? I don't think he needs to get out of the pocket and run necessarily. I just think he needs to be seeing, he needs to be throwing deep balls, man. Like he has an insane arm and really, really good decision-making. So when you combine that, I just think it's so conservative. They're running so many little, little crossers, little like, like short crossers, like scared routes, um, a lot of slants. And it's just, I mean, a lot, a lot of people could go in there and run that office offense competently and that's not who you have a quarterback. You don't have a replacement level competent quarterback. You have Justin Herbert, who's got a cannon attached to his body and in- incredible awareness and reads. You know, he gets through his reads so fast. I just, I think they have to be just doing more, being more aggressive with this offense, really. Okay. Interesting thought there. I like that. Um, Sunday afternoon continues the San Diego or the San Francisco 49ers 33 Miami Dolphins 17. It got a little bit interesting there because the Niners just lost their second quarterback of the year. Jimmy Garoppolo goes down with a foot injury. It's a broken foot. He's out for the year. So former Iowa State quarterback Brock Purdy comes into the game. And were you impressed by that? How did Purdy look to you on the field in relief of uh, Jimmy G? I mean, I was impressed, right? Like he was 25 for 37 for 210 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. You'd probably take that stat line just about any day uh, from almost anybody and expect a reasonable chance to win the football game, especially when you have the Niners defense. Um, With that said, so I believe he was Mr. Irrelevant in this recent draft. And I I mean, people have different opinions on how much draft stock is going to matter for predicting a quarterback. I mean, the simple math, you know, maybe this is to do with what opportunities quarterbacks get, yada, yada, yada. But the vast, vast majority of like long-term starting quarterbacks in the NFL are first-round picks. You know, you can count them not on one hand, but you can, you can count pretty easily the guys who weren't taken in the first round who people see as like franchise quarterbacks. Like you've got Brady, and that was super, super long ago. You've got like Kirk Cousins and Dak. You've got Hurts in the second round recently. I might be missing a few, but like those are the ones that really stand out as like you trust them with your franchise. So with that said, this guy being a Mr. Irrelevant, I think kind of speaks more to how insanely good and well-drawn up the Niners offense is, more so than me being impressed by him. When you have that many weapons and there's so many things to cover on the field between their running backs and their wide receivers and their tight ends, it's like they have studs at every position. So it's really, really hard to guard and it leaves guys a lot more open for these quarterbacks than you would think. And I mean, that's 
I think that's ultimately why we see Jimmy G having these super mediocre stats and such an incredible winning percentage. He's been playing on the 49ers the last couple of years. They have an incredible offense and are basically doing the case study for us. What if you had a juggernaut of an offense minus the QB position? What would it look like? We're about to find out these next couple of weeks. Well, no, we definitely are. And it's interesting you note that Jimmy G's got so many wins. When every other quarterback in the Niners comes in relief of him because Jimmy G gets injured quite a bit. It's his third season in the last five that he's finishing on IR. Um, the Niners quarterbacks are combined 9-29, and 29, and that does include Trey Lance this season. They're 9-29 and 29 under Kyle Shanahan when Jimmy G, when they start in place of Jimmy Garoppolo. So we'll see what happens with Brock Purdy. He's going to become the first Mr. Irrelevant to start in the common draft era. Um, he was Assuming the they don't pick up Baker Mayfield off waivers. That's also a possibility. He got re- Baker got released by the Panthers today, uh, which was a surprise to some, but not a surprise to those who have been following the NFL. Yeah. Um, be very interesting to see what happens. They also signed Josh Johnson off of the Denver Broncos practice squad. And that guy has been to so many teams. He's actually been with the Niners twice in the past. But in Washington. Been, right. So he's been with quite a few teams. He's a journeyman. Uh, he might have a chance at the starting job, but I think they're going to give a chance. They might give a chance to – Brock Purdy and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, get hey, it looks good. Well, get this. Brock Purdy, he, like we've mentioned, first of Mr. Relevant to start. He's going to do so against a guy named Tom Brady, who's 7-0 and in his career against quarterbacks making their first career start. Wow. That's, that's a great yeah. way to uh, – that's a great thing on the resume. Hey, where was your first career start? Uh, Tom Brady. Oh, <laughs> against who? Oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, okay. Um. Speaking of that guy, Joe Burrow, as some people would say, the Kansas City Chiefs looked really good, and then they looked really bad. The Cincinnati Bengals were missing their star running back, Joe Mixon, which is the running game is the best way to beat the Chiefs. But they got Jamar Chase back, their leading receiver. He had seven receptions for 97 yards. Joe Burrow, 25 for 31, 286, two touchdowns. The Bengals win 27-24. They score 10 fourth-quarter points. You want to talk about this game? I don't even have a question for this game. Like, the yeah. four years. Absolutely. Well, I was impressed by Burrow's running game and the awareness, right? You look at it, it's not like the, the classic like Lamar Fields game where it's a ton of volume and a ton of yards. 11 rushing attempts for 46 yards, one touchdown. When I was watching this game, I was really, really impressed. I thought that Burrow took off at all the right times. He picked up key first downs for them. He had that rushing touchdown in the red zone. That wasn't like he broke that off for, for a long gain or anything. You know, by Burrow's, by Burrow's passing, you know, standards – it wasn't like he had an insane game, you know, under 300 yards, two touchdowns, no interception, obviously a good game. But I thought that was kind of the difference was Burrow really did take off when he needed to and picked up the yards that they needed to to keep drives going and get in the end zone. I thought that was absolutely huge for them. P. Ryan also 21 attempts, 106 yards. Uh, we talked about him last week. I think the str- one of the strongest running backs in NFL history. His, his combine numbers are insane. He's huge. Um, and he's been good for the Bengals. They've been using him um, – They've been using him out of the backfield to catch passes too. Six receptions for forty-nine yards. I love to see a good former, former, uh, a good former command skin succeeding in their new environment. Wow, that that's one way to put it. I like that. Dallas Cowboys fifty-four, Indianapolis Colts nineteen. Prescott had three touchdowns. The Cowboys won by thirty-five. Oh, oh. Also, they scored thirty-three fourth quarter points. Um, the thirty-three points scored by the Cowboys in the fourth quarter is the second highest fourth quarter. Point total by a single team in NFL history. The Lions scored 34 in the fourth quarter of a game against in a game against the Bears in 2007. I can't let you go without asking the question because we skipped it over last week. Um, 
we, we didn't get to touch on it about Monday Night Football, the Colts hiring Jeff Saturday. The Colts just lost by 35 points to a really potent offense in the Dallas Cowboys, but the Colts are now 4-8-1. and one. They've lost three in a row since his highly anticipated debut against the Raiders. All three of those games were against the Keystone State members of the Steelers and the Eagles, and now the Cowboys. What are your thoughts, mm, without the opinion at least, of A, Jeff Saturday getting hired, but B, does that set a precedent for what's going to happen in the future with other teams and their hiring processes? Uh, it's, it's hard to go at it with, with totally no opinion, but I will just say that I don't think it will set that much of a precedent because I don't think it's going to be that successful. I mean, it hasn't been so far, and I don't think it will be going into the future. I think that NFL coach is a position – that is so highly coveted, and it should be, right? You have Jeff Saturday, and you have people saying, well, he knows how to do this. He was in a locker room for this long. For every one NFL coach, there are 53 NFL players and a bunch more on the practice squad. It is simply not the case that anyone who is a veteran of the NFL is equipped or able to be an NFL head coach. If you're Jim Irsay and you're set on having a Colts legend, you know, coach the rest of this season someone who played who knows what it's like in the locker room you think that's that's tough and you want your players to be gritty and tough and you want a, a an nfl veteran a colts legend reggie wayne is already a coach on the colts staff your constraints are everything that's pointing you at jeff saturday i don't see what he has that reggie wayne doesn't if, if you're if that's what you're going for well, and you make a good point because they also had two former NFL, they still do, two former NFL head coaches on staff as well. Think about that. Yeah. To Monday Night Football, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defeat the New Orleans Saints 17-16 to with four minutes to go in the fourth quarter. It was 16-3, to the Saints led, and Dana White had just left the Manning cast, and everybody was joking that he might be placing Brady on his couch in the upcoming free agency. Well... I wrote a kind of game summary at 16 to 3 and our thoughts are with the beat writers who had to change their stories at the last minute because the Buccaneers came back to win they scored on their next two possessions and the Saints had a chance to win the game they played too conservative they're looking too far ahead of their bye week this upcoming week the Buccaneers took advantage and they scored a touchdown with 3 seconds to go and at the end of the day, Rashad White went into the end zone, the rookie running back for the Buccaneers. It's the latest touchdown of to Tom Brady's career, who also ties, he also ties Dan Marino for the most wins on Monday Night Football with 20. Well, our thanks to D Mills for joining us this week. That was week 13 in review. We'll have him on uh, as we get to the end of the season, because uh, we're going on a hiatus for a little bit. But uh, always a pleasure, D Mills. You are one of the best. We appreciate your time for today. Thanks for having me. So let it be written, so let it be done. Thanks for tuning in to the Sport Report today. We'll be back on our next episode with the latest in sports. Right now we're still working on a website, but if you want to follow us on social media, we are at SR underscore CWS on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find our podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, you name it. We're on almost every podcast platform. This podcast is copyrighted by The Sport Report for viewers to understand sports from a news reporting basis. Any other use of this podcast, Sport Report logos, or anything associated with this podcast without the express written consent of Channel of Sports is strictly prohibited.